0: Well, my thread for our service, I guess you could say that's beginning now or this evening and going to run through Easter morning, was, was letting Jesus, in his own words, kind of preach a sermon to us, if you will. I was reading through the Good Friday accounts in the Gospels and the Easter morning accounts and what would Jesus say, particularly tonight, this evening on Good Friday, if he could have said a little bit more from the cross, if he had a little bit more energy, a little bit more air in his lungs, what would he have added uh, to what he said as he hung there? I'm going to read the account in Luke's gospel, and uh, you'll, you'll see he, in this particular account, Jesus says two, two different things from the cross. We're going to focus in on one of those. I mean, so many things are happening at the cross on Good Friday. Hallelujah and praise the Lord. Uh, Luke 23, verse 32. Two others, both criminals, were led out to be executed with him, and when they came to a place called the skull, they nailed him to the cross. The criminals were also crucified, one on his right and one on his left. This is what we'll kind of lean into. What might Jesus have added to this? It's maybe one of his most famous cries from the cross. Jesus says, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they are doing. I mean, we could spend a lot of time on this, but, but on the cross, Jesus is absorbing all of the sin and all of the hatred. And all of the evil in the world, he's absorbing it into him. And you see here his response. What he's giving back to the world, what he's doing is recycling that sin and that hatred and that evil into love and mercy and forgiveness. Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they are doing. And the soldiers gambled for his clothes by throwing dice, and the crowd watched, and the leaders scoffed. He saved others, they said. Let him save himself if he really is God's Messiah, the anointed one, the chosen one. And the soldiers mocked him too by offering a drink of sour wine. They cried out to him, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. And a sign was fastened above him with these words, this is the king of the Jews. We'll jump to verse 44. By this time it was about noon, and darkness fell across the whole land until three o'clock. The light from the sun was gone, and suddenly the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn down the middle. And Jesus shouted here another one of his cries from the cross, Father, I entrust my spirit into your hands. And with those words, he breathed his last. And Jesus, the Son of God, (laughs) sent into the world to save the world, saves the world by dying in our place, on our behalf. But I was thinking, where would we go? What would help us if Jesus were to give us words, if he had a, a little bit more air from the cross? And I turn to Matthew chapter 18. There's a parable that Jesus told earlier in his ministry that I I think may help you and I reflect a little bit about what, what is happening. Jesus is explaining for us the magnitude of what is taking place on Good Friday, and he's also trying to disciple us, to teach us, to shepherd us into what the only real response can be. There's one response, and if we don't get this response, we've missed what he's done for us. In Matthew 18, Jesus tells a parable. If you're familiar with the parables, the parables are often normal stories that aren't surprising until they are. (laughs) As you read through the parables, there's usually at least one surprise that the the listeners in Jesus' day would be, yeah, this is going exactly, where did that come from? Now, in the parable he tells in Matthew chapter 18, there are two surprises, and I just want you to to see them this evening, and maybe, you know, as you go through your weekend, you can reflect upon these a little bit more. But the context is Peter comes to Jesus. We could talk more about this. I think Peter is really proud of himself. Lord, I'm understanding that forgiveness is a big part of your kingdom, so I know it's hard, I know we're supposed to do it, but I know... You know, people don't always respond the way you want them to respond when you forgive. So how often do we need to forgive? I mean, seven feels like a good number. Is that enough? How far do we need to go with this? Because forgiveness is hard. (laughs) Uh, In other words, in, in many ways, Peter's asking, who do I not have to forgive? And Jesus says, well, no, Peter, actually, your brilliant answer isn't as brilliant as you think. It's not seven times. It's 77 times, or 70 times 7, sorry. (laughs) In other words, if you've been paying attention to Jesus' ministry, he's in the business of proposing a more radical strategy than you would have imagined. One which halts the spiral of evil entirely. One which is the surest way of destroying evil because it puts in its place a spiral of healing and reconciliation. Again, on Good Friday, Jesus is absorbing the sins of the world and recycling back love, mercy, and forgiveness. And he begins to then explain. Peter's, well, how could this be? Well, he begins to explain with this story. And again, it starts as a normal story. You wouldn't be surprised at first. He says, therefore, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God can be compared to a king who decided to bring his accounts up to date with servants who had borrowed money from him. Verse 24, in the process, one of his debtors was brought in who owed him my translation it's kind of trying to help us in our modern context he says it millions of dollars it's 10,000 talents but but they're trying to help us understand this is an unfathomable amount in the first century lots and lots of money <laughs> a debt that it, i mean there's just how could it ever be repaid verse 25 he couldn't pay so his master ordered that he be sold that was not abnormal in the first century Along with his wife, his children, and everything he owned to pay the debt. The master was trying to get back some of what he was owed. And again, this wouldn't be surprising to the hearers in Jesus' day. Yeah, of course you would do that. That's how things are done. Verse 26, still not very surprising. The man did what you and I probably would have done. Fell down before his master and begged. And I want you to hear the words he uses because it's important as we journey through the story. Please be patient with me. Please be patient with me. And I will pay it. I will pay it all. Verse 27 is the first of the two surprises in this story that Jesus gives us. Uh, Jesus says his master was filled with pity for him. And this is what he says. He released him and he forgave his debt. I mean, this is the first thing that you and I have to come to terms with on Good Friday. (laughs) It's a God who would go so far as to go above and beyond even what we ask of him (laughs) and cover the whole cost himself. That's the first surprise. That's the first shock. And let me... Let me set this up for you so you then are prepared to feel the second shock of the story. When something outrageous and extravagant like this happens in a story, you and I as readers, as listeners, are conditioned to then expect remarkable effects, right? You see something like this happen, something that is beyond the normal, something that comes from from above, from outside, something that gives opportunity for new life. You know that life can't just go as though this never happened. Big changes have to follow. If you take a giant stone and throw it into a pond, you expect ripples. If there weren't ripples, it would worry you. And so you've seen a big stone get thrown into the pond and you are ready for the ripples. (laughs) But we go to verse 28. But when the man left the king, he went to a fellow servant who owed him a few thousand dollars. So we're not even near the same scope of money. He grabbed him by the throat, and he demanded instant payment. His fellow servant fell down before him and begged him for a little more time, saying almost exactly what this servant has just said to the king. The master, be patient with me, and I will pay it, he pleaded. Verse 30 is the second great shock and surprise of the story. His creditor wouldn't wait. He had the man arrested and put in prison until the debt could be paid. Jesus wants us to feel indignation and frustration and confusion. Where are the ripples? There are no ripples. Something happened that changed the way the world operates. The world should be changed by the behavior of the king. The servant should be a different person, but the servant goes on business as usual. And I want you to pause and think, because I think, I think if we're honest with ourselves, this is only outrageous. I mean, the lack of change in the servant is only outrageous because we just heard about the extraordinary act of generosity of this master and this king. In other words, again, if the story had started in verse 28, the servant's behavior would occasion no surprise on our parts. The servant would be doing exactly what you and I would probably do, demand our payment. But what should, I think what Jesus is hoping makes us feel indignant as he, as he tells the story is that we do know that the servant has experienced unfathomable, incomparable generosity and has had no effect The king has changed the world. He's rewritten the ordinary rules of behavior, but the one who has benefited from this gift of this new world behaves as though nothing has happened. So why do I think this might be a sermon that Jesus would preach? Well, he continues in verse 31 to drive the point home to the listeners, (laughs) And to you and to me, how do we respond? What is an appropriate response of worship for what Jesus does for us on the cross on Good Friday? And what is, what's an inappropriate response? What's a signal to you, to me, to those around us and to Jesus? What's what's a signal to our heavenly father that we really haven't humbled ourselves to receive the gift that he's trying to give us? Verse 31, when some of the other servants saw this, they were very upset. So they went to the king and they told him everything that had happened. And the king called in the man he had forgiven. And he said, you evil servant, I forgave you. I forgave you the tremendous debt the, the unfathomable debt. Because, just because you pleaded. You didn't even ask me to do it. I went above and beyond what you asked. Shouldn't you have Mercy. You've received mercy. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant? Because just as I had mercy on you, verse thirty-four ends rather harshly. The angry king sent the man to prison to be tortured until he had paid his entire debt. And Jesus Himself wraps the story up. That's why my heavenly Father. That's what my heavenly Father will do to you if you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters from your hearts if you go on living as if Good Friday never happened. So just three little things here, I think, from these final verses that you can wrestle with over the next 36 hours, if you will. First thing I think Jesus is saying is that God really has forgiven us everything. The whole vast debt of sin, this... Unfathomable debt that we owe God cancels outright. That's the first thing, and you've got to come to terms with that. <laughs> you've got to humble yourself to to recognize the goodness of this God, how much he loves you and, and really what Jesus was doing on Good Friday. You and I are the recipients of God's mercy and generosity, hopefully on a mind-blowing scale. And if that's true, then it really should change our lives, everything about who we are. And to go on living as we've always lived is to live as though the extraordinary fact of God's forgiveness of us never happened, as if Good Friday never happened. I think the other thing Jesus is saying, and and we would need to lean into this more because the Holy Spirit enters into our life and empowers us to do this. I'm not saying this is easy. I'm not trying to be overly simplistic, but I do believe Jesus ending the parable this way, he is saying you can forgive. You can forgive. You can become a forgiving person because if you open your heart to the forgiveness of God... He will teach you, and He will heal you, and He will enable you to forgive. It's when God's mercy overwhelms us, heals the hurts, and softens the natural hardness of our hearts. It's the experience of being forgiven that enables us to treat other people generously, compassionately, and forgivingly. And finally, and I think this is a good final reflection as we enter into a time of communion. I think Jesus, as he ends this parable, is saying people who can't forgive others are people who can't admit they need forgiving themselves. I mean, there's always a few different ways to read the parables of Jesus, but I think some of what he's saying with the, with the servant's response is that the servant really doesn't believe that the debt is paid. And he maintains this life posture of, I still have a lie, I still have this. He just can't accept that his king has wiped it clean, white as snow. That's why the parable ends in the tragic way it does. The servant has not really accepted his forgiveness. And so he goes on living as if it never happened. Again, we've sung about this, we've read a little bit about this. I know you've thought about this before you came in here this evening, but when you pause and you think about what Jesus endured, (laughs) being crucified as an innocent human being, the only truly righteous one, enduring on our behalf what we deserve, (laughs) don't make that meaningless. Don't live as if that never happened. Maybe you think, I don't know how I could allow, I mean, you don't know what I've done. I don't know how I could allow God to forgive forgive what I've done. I don't know how I could be loved. I'm just asking you to take a step of faith maybe this evening. Especially for some of those of you, we've talked about this often across you, who know in your head that God loves you, but you have trouble believing it in your heart. As we, as we receive communion in just a few minutes, maybe as you, as you feel tangibly the body and blood of Christ go from your head into your heart, <laughs> let me just invite the Spirit of God to drive these truths down deep into your soul that you are forgiven. That the world is not what it was. That what Jesus did on Good Friday rewrote the rules. (laughs) And you and I are invited into a whole new life. And we get to be a part of this reconciliation and this healing and this forgiveness. Again, not on our own strength or by our own wisdom, but by the strength and power of God. Because he's done it. Because he's shown us it's possible. And because he really expects us then to respond as people of forgiveness. So I'm going to invite the ushers to come forward. And they're going to pass the communion elements. If you're visiting Crossview, if you're new to Crossview, um, the bread and the juice are stacked. So you'll want to grab two cups And if you're gluten-free, you'll want to grab the third cup, just the bread in the middle. The bigger bread is the gluten-free bread. And you can just hold on to it, just be reflective, be repentant. Taylor's going to play on the piano while we receive. And then after everyone's been served as one body, we're unified in Christ. I'll come forward and we will receive the body and the blood together. So prepare your hearts to receive from God. Let me read this as we talk about the tensions of Good Friday. The passion of Jesus Christ shows us the two deepest truths of our humanity. It reveals the horror of what we've done to the world, to each other, and to ourselves. And in the same moment, it reveals the depths of God's love for us and the potency of God's power to save us. The cross proclaims that we are more broken than we can imagine and more loved than we can fathom. If you'll take the bread. In the night in which he was betrayed, our Lord Jesus took the bread and broke it and gave it to his disciples saying, take and eat, this is my body, broken for you, given for you. He said, do this in remembrance of me. And as we've been reflecting all evening, after supper, he took the cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant of my blood. It's, it's poured out for you. It's shed for you, for the forgiveness of your sins, for the canceling of your debt. <laughs> You're free. Do this in remembrance of me. Heavenly Father, we we want to hear the good news this evening. We want to take seriously what you've done. And again, I think there are a lot of ways that we respond to the goodness of Good Friday. But certainly one of them is that we learn to forgive as we've been forgiven. Maybe for some of us this evening, that starts with forgiving ourselves. (laughs) Uh, Being a pastor, I know that many people are willing to be gracious with others, but not with themselves. But why do we think that we know better than you? (laughs) If you've forgiven us, maybe we should too. Maybe there's other people in our lives, or maybe just... Ideas of people that we just carry anger and hatred and vengeance. I do think one of many responses to Good Friday is that we become a people who forgive because we've been forgiven. So help us to become that kind of people. Help us not to live as if Good Friday never happened. Help us to be aware that something new broke into the world the night you gave your life for us. May we cherish that gift from above. May we prize it. May we treasure it. And may we share it with the world. <laughs> Amen. So it's traditional and good friday services to end in silence and we typically do that here at crossview and so i will ask you in just a, a couple minutes to to leave the sanctuary quietly now one of the things i love about our church family even as i came up to begin the service is that you like talking to each other that's a good thing if you want to say hi to one another once you get out in the hallway or if you want to enjoy the weather today go ahead you don't have to be silent all the way to your car but we ask that you're silent as you leave the sanctuary and a few of you, I think maybe because we did the church calendar last year, you kind of got into some of the things that have been a part of just the history of, our chur- of, of the church throughout, throughout the thousands of years now. Um, and it is often um, common for churches to end the Good Friday service with, with a loud noise, right? It's, it's meant to make us think of the stone rolling and falling and closing the tomb. And so one of our church family members came to me and said, hey, what if we do that? Can we do that? I said, I love that idea. But I got to tell you, (laughs) I grew up in a church. We did that every Good Friday. Um, And we had, I don't think I ever saw the instrument. I don't want to see it. It was the creepiest gong sound you could imagine. And I remember as a kid being terrified of Good Friday. Because I knew at the end of the service, there was going to be this long pause and somewhere up in the balcony somebody was going to hit this thing when i didn't expect it and it was going to freak me out so i said we can do a noise i just don't want to scare people it wasn't i mean maybe i don't know it just wasn't a good experience for me as a kid so so we're going to end the service with a noise it's a good noise it's not a, it's not a, a horrifying gong it sounds a little bit like a stone rolling in front of the tomb so I'll pause about five seconds. Dan's going to play the noise. And then after you hear the noise, I just invite you to leave silently. And I'll see you at Easter morning. Amen.